What are the moments that you have remembered like throughout your life? Like it's one of these moments that like are ingrained in your brain that you go, I'll never forget that big moment. I mean, they can be all sorts of things, good things, bad things, big moments, maybe like a wedding day or an important funeral of a loved one, a firstborn child being born or hitting a hole in one on the golf course. I've never experienced that. I don't know what that's like. I was told today that putt-putt does not count. And so I don't really know what that feels like, but I bet I'd remember it. Now, one moment really like that for me is when my firstborn son, Asher, was born. We were at the hospital early in the morning in Indianapolis, and things were kind of quiet and peaceful, like calm before the storm type of situation. And my wife, Abby, and I were kind of taking bets on when Asher would be born and how big he would be. It was kind of fun, at least for me, because I didn't have to go through the rest of the experience, really. And this hospital had this father's suite in the room and had a TV and a fridge, so I was set. Like, this was great. It's kind of like a vacation. She's not in here. I can say that. It's okay. And so this day kind of goes on and on, and it just, like, progressed like situations like this do. And finally, when it was time for Asher to make his big debut, things started happening. It was kind of like it was in the movies, and we're like, push, push, and like, here he comes, you know, all this kind of fun stuff. But then the doctor's demeanor kind of changed. Like, she started orchestrating the nurses a little bit more aggressively. She's shouting, literally shouting commands. I didn't quite understand what was going on, but Asher's heart rate was dropping rapidly, and they kind of pushed me out of the way, which is a good thing, because I had nothing to offer at this point. And one nurse was shouting out the numbers as they kept going down, and the doctor was talking to Abby about what she might need to do next. And Asher was finally born, but they grabbed him right away, and they started to work on him. And there were several things that were kind of happening all at once. But really, the umbilical cord had been wrapped around his arm. And it impacted blood flow and oxygen levels. And they finally stepped away from him. They allowed Abby and I to see him and hold him for a few minutes. They came in to do some kind of post-birth evaluations and decided they needed to take him away, admit Asher into the NICU at the hospital. And we weren't allowed to go with him yet. So our firstborn newborn baby is wheeled out of the room, taken upstairs, and Abby and I sat in silence. That's actually what's ingrained in my brain, that moment of just silence. I'll remember for the rest of my life. It's kind of this deep feeling of helplessness and hopelessness. There wasn't anything that I could do There wasn't anything that I could try, no words that I could say to make it better. It just seemed like an impossible situation. Now, spoiler alert, I've actually talked about Asher on this platform before. He's alive, he's well, and I know that isn't always the case. The many of you might have a similar story with a different ending, and I'm incredibly thankful for Asher, and I'm sorry that your story ended differently But maybe you felt some of those types of feelings too. Maybe it's not that type of situation. Maybe it's a different situation for you. But these feelings of helplessness that no matter what you do, no matter what you think, no matter what circumstances are around you, you're stuck in an impossible situation. Can you relate to those feelings? Have you ever been in a situation that you're like, "Ah, there's no way out here? It's, it's insurmountable. Like, I can't do it. I don't have what it takes to get out of it. Maybe it's a funny one. Maybe it's a serious one. 
But there are times we kind of live our lives like this, these impossible situations, and we go over them and over them and over them in our head. You know, there are things that we want to be able to do, but we can't really do. You know, we can't fix the broken relationship. We're trying, and it seems to keep knocking at our door, and we don't know what to do with it. We can't fix the abuse in our past. We don't have the time machine to go back, and it seems to just be messing with us all the time. We can't fix the grief that we feel. It's just there all the time, and it's hard for other people to understand. Now, we're in the middle of this series called Dinner with Jesus, And we've been going through these real-life examples from the Bible of what it would be like to sit down with Jesus and just talk with him and eat together. First week, we talked about this time that Jesus went to a party thrown by an outcast, a tax collector named Levi. Last week, we talked about this time that Jesus went to dinner with this religious leader named Simon, and they had an unexpected guest, and everybody knew everything that she had done wrong. And this week, we're going to be talking about this seemingly impossible situation that these followers of Jesus found themselves in. They didn't know what to do. They didn't really know where to turn, and it had to do with dinner. So here's the setup. Jesus has sent out his guys. There's 12 followers of his. And he said, hey, go and serve people He gave them the power to interact with all sorts of people. They were able to heal the sick. They were able to cast out Jesus, all because of the authority that Jesus had provided to them. He said, go and do that on my behalf. Can you imagine being able to help people like that? Like what what a spiritual high that must have been. That would have been awesome. And But the weird thing is Jesus said, hey, we're going to give you the power to heal people. We're going to give you the power to help people in this way. But we're not going to take anything else with us. No food, no money, no change of clothes, no GPS to know where you're going, nothing. Like you don't have any help. I'm going to provide all of that for you. And that's what they did. They went and they started to go around. They started to talk about who Jesus was. They started to help people. And then these followers of Jesus, they're sometimes called the disciples. Maybe you've heard that before. They're sometimes called the apostles. They came back and they're starting to report in to what Jesus had asked them to do. Like, hey, Jesus, this is what happened. Like, and this person, and then they were healed. It was awesome. Like, it was incredible. So they're talking about it. And then they kind of try to sneak away from all the people who are kind of surrounding them. And they want a little bit of a break. But people followed them. They found them. So Jesus decides, okay, hey, the job's not done. And he started to teach them and he started to heal the sick. And that's where we pick up our story. This is in Luke chapter 9. Now Luke is in the second half of the Bible, the New Testament. And Luke is one of the Gospels. Gospel means good news. It's about the good news of Jesus. It's about his life and his ministry. And that's where we're going to spend our entire time in Luke chapter 9. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, that's what we'll be the whole time. Check this out. This is Luke 9, starting in verse 12. Late in the afternoon, so it's after lunchtime. It's kind of getting a little late. The 12 disciples came to him and said, send the crowds away to the nearby villages and farms so they can find food and lodging for the night. There's nothing to eat here in this remote place. Have you ever said that when when you're driving down the interstate? You're like, there's nothing to eat here in this remote place. Well, this is where that came from. The disciples said it first. So they're, they're there, and they're like, hey, look, everybody, the party's over. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here, you know, that type of situation. And they're going, we don't have anything for these people. 
Like there's no McDonald's around the corner. There's no Motel 6 to stay in. Like we don't, we don't really have what they need. And there's a crowd. They need to eat. They need to sleep. They're about to get hangry. We don't want to deal with that. So we've got, we've got to be done for the day. And that's what they're saying to Jesus. Jesus, hey, we've got to be done for the day. It kind of actually makes sense if you think about it. This is how Jesus responds. He goes, well, you feed them. They're like, excuse me, what? Like, I don't, I don't, I just told you we don't have anything to eat. We don't have anything, you know, for them. We don't have a way to have them sleep. Like, I thought, I thought I heard you say feed them, and maybe that's not what you meant. Are you saying it's up to us? Like, there's no vending machine over here. Like, I don't have any options. That kind of seems like an impossible task. Like, okay, easy for you to say, Jesus. What do you say when you have this impossible situation that you're in? Have you ever experienced anything like that? When it's like, truly, you don't have what you need. You don't have what it takes. Maybe, maybe you say things like, I don't have what it takes. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't have the resources that I need. I need somebody to help me. Or maybe you start to get angry. I've done that before. You know, how could you, God, ask me to do something when I can't possibly do it? Like, you're not even going to help me do it? Like, this is ridiculous. Think about something right now in your life that feels like an impossible task. Is Jesus saying kind of the same type of thing to you? Hey, feed them. He's like, well, what does that mean? How do I go about doing that? Maybe you feel prompted to get plugged in and you start serving here at the Ridge, but you're busy. And you're like, I know I'd have to sacrifice some things. I'd have to figure some other stuff out. And you go, hey, this isn't the right time for me. You're not giving me what I need here, Jesus. I mean, you feel like it'd be the right time to invite your friend to church. You felt that prompting before and you're like, ah, it feels really, really awkward. And I don't like to be awkward. And I want them to stay my friend. I don't want to alienate them. It feels kind of darn near impossible to interact in that way. You feel like Jesus is asking you to take a leap of faith in some way. You know, hey, check out this new job, or hey, take this relationship step, or hey, start giving, or, or hey, jump into a group here at the Ridge. We talked about that already, and you, you're like, I want relationships. I want to be connected, but I don't really want to take any steps. You know, I, don't, I have too much going on. I don't want to sacrifice anything. I, I'm not comfortable. I don't have the time. I don't have the energy. This kind of seems impossible to figure this stuff out. And it's okay. I, I've said that before. The disciples said that too. Hey, I don't, I don't have what it takes. I don't have what I, what I need to figure this out. And Jesus is like, feed them. And the disciples, this is their response. I love this. But we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. And they're like, there are 12 of us. Like, what are, what are we going to do? Or are you expecting us to go and buy enough food for this whole crowd? I read this like they're being incredibly sarcastic. They probably weren't, but that's how I would have said it. Like, or are you, Jesus, expecting us to go and buy enough food for everybody here because that's ridiculous. Like, why in the world would you be asking us to do that? There are 5,000 men here, 5,000. So culturally at the time when they're counting people, when they're taking a count, they only counted the men, which, is, which means there are so many more people there than just 5,000. But let's just do the math. All right, so we have five loaves, two fish. So we're like 4,995 loaves short, 4,998 fish short. I don't know if they counted themselves or not, but they're like, that's just for the good dudes here. Like, what are we going to do? They forgot. Remember what they were just doing? They had just gone. They were able to heal people. It's like Jesus can't do this. They had forgotten already, right away. They go, hey, 
you already provide for us, but this, this seems ridiculous. And I think the disciples are thinking what many of us would have been thinking. This is a logistical nightmare. Have you ever had a dinner party of 20 people? Like just 20 people at your house? And you're like, we don't have enough chairs. And apparently like our water goes out when we need to do this. And we have to get a plunger because for some reason, everyone needs to use the bathroom right at the same time. Like you don't know what to do. And you're like, you have allergies and you'd have this and this kid is tearing this down. That's just 20 people in your house. Like this is thousands of people. I mean, you need lines and you need tents and you need advanced degree in party planning if they have those, if those exist. I mean, I've officiated my share of weddings. That's kind of one of the things that I get to do as a pastor. And the party planning that goes into just for like a couple of hundred people, have you seen it? They have like spreadsheets and like all of these charts and it is intense and people are like at each other and they're like, will you have the chicken or the fish? And you're like, is there something else? Chicken or fish? Like decide right now, like RSVP by the end of the month or else. And you're like, what is going on? Like that's kind of like this situation. And Jesus is like, hey, figure it out. And they're like, whoa, I can't, I can't. But it's not just logistical. Like, say they could have figured it out. It would have been incredibly expensive. Like, loaves of bread don't just grow on trees, turns out, and neither do fish, and that's good because that would be disgusting. But the disciples are thinking this is a nightmare. How are we going to do it? Like, so much time, so much effort, so much money. How, how is this not impossible, Jesus? Like, what, what, this seems silly. Why would this have been so impossible? Well, logistically, financially, but there's one more, I think, reason in this story. They thought that they had to do it on their own. Did you catch that? So we look at the situation and think, Jesus is saying, go figure it out. Go figure it out on your own. And that's not what he said. He said, hey, feed them. He didn't say, all by yourself, without my help. You have to go figure it out. Go, 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 by yourself, by yourself, by yourself. We do this, don't we? See, serving God isn't about what I can do for Jesus, but that's what the disciples are doing. He says, feed them, and they're like, oh, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it. We can't do it, I can't do it. They're so concerned about what they need to do for God. And that's not what it's about. See, I want to serve God because of my love for God. See, it's an intentional kind of response. So I believe that Jesus died on the cross where I fall short. That's kind of the gospel in a nutshell. And that if we follow him, if we believe in him, that he'll make us right in our relationship with God and we have hope in eternity and on this earth. So we talked about this some a little bit last week. See, I'm not denied, I'm not defined by what I do on my worst day because I'm defined by what Jesus did on his best day. And that's why we serve. That's why we do anything. I want to respond to what God has done for me in my life. I want to thank him for what he's done. It's a way to be a part of what he's doing. But I have to admit to you, I, just like the disciples, I get caught up into what I think God is wanting me to do for him that I forget to do it with him. I get really bogged down in the logistics. You know, here's what we've got to do. Here's all the stuff we've got to figure out. I, I get bogged down into the like, okay, this is, this is how you know, expensive it's going to be, be. This is what you need to do, and I'll do it. I mean, I'll do it, but I'll have a bad attitude about it maybe. See, I forget, hey, you know what, Adam? God doesn't need you to do it. He doesn't need me to do it. 
He's God. He can do it whether I choose to do it or not. Here's what I mean. Have you ever kind of lost the perspective of why you're doing something? Sometimes when I'm hanging out with my kids, I kind of want to do something special. You know, like, hey, let's have an extra special. Let's go out. Let's get, like, ice cream. This happened recently. And I'm, like, going out. We're getting ice cream. And then, I don't know, something happens, and it's not going well, and I'm starting to force it. I'm like, you eat your ice cream, and you will like it. Like, it is chocolate. They don't have what you want. This is the way it's going to be. Like, stop it. And then they're like, no. And then you're like, give me it. And you throw it out of the window or something like that. And it's just like, what is going on? I completely lost my mind. I, I didn't do that. I, I'm, I see how you're looking at me. I didn't actually throw their ice cream out the window. I wanted to, but I didn't. Because I lost perspective of why in the first place we were doing this. I lost it. Like, I'm like, no, you will enjoy it. And you will enjoy it on my terms. I forget I'm the adult in this situation. Like, now, 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 now. Stop it. Enjoy it. Say thank you. Now. It's like, what is going on? I lose sight of why I'm actually doing the thing that I'm doing. We do that with the things of God. God wants me to serve him. He wants me to do the things that honor him. He wants me to spend my time and energy and effort and finances on those things. God wants me to serve him, but he does not need me to serve him. And that's where we get confused on the issue, don't we? Like God is desperately needing me to get him out of a bad situation or something. Like, come on, Adam, I need some help. Like, that's not the way it's going. How ridiculous is that? I lose sight of why we're actually doing what we're doing. I think the disciples did too. They're like, how is this going to happen? Like, I'm tired. I don't really want to do this anymore. Send them all home. I don't want to do this for you. And Jesus replied to him, check this out. All right logistics. Tell them to sit down in groups of about 50 each. One sentence. That's amazing. Like, boom. So the people all sat down. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven, and blessed them. Then, breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread and fish to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted, and afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. He didn't need the disciples to do it. He didn't need the disciples to figure it out, logistically, financially, any of that. He just needed the disciples to do it with him. Not for him, with him. I love this story because Jesus uses people, these people who are already following him, he uses these people who are right here to do the work. But you know, it didn't talk about the miracle at all. Like, if you're not paying attention, like, you go, how big were these loaves of bread? Like, thousands and thousands of people? Like, they weren't like, you know, six-foot subs from Subway or anything like that. And even that, that doesn't feed 5,000 people. Like, we miss that because the point of this is not about the miracle. It's not about that Jesus can do miracles. Yes, he can, but that's not the point. The point is Jesus is the one who provides. He made it happen, and he used the disciples to give it away. Jesus took the food, he blesses it, and he says, here you go. And then the disciples, it wasn't Jesus walking around, it says the disciples took it and they distributed it to the people. See, serving God isn't about what I can do for Jesus. Serving God is about what I get to do with Jesus. What do you think it would have been like to be one of those disciples that day? You know, they're going, like, they're grumbling. Like, how in the world are we going to do this? Like, how do we figure this out? 
Oh, you're just gonna you're just gonna take like that, and then you're just gonna oh, like more bread, more fish, more bread, more fish, thousands and thousands and thousands of people. So you can just like do it. And Jesus is like, yeah. What an amazing thing they got to do with Jesus. They got to be an eyewitness to this amazing thing. I bet this is a moment that they remembered for the rest of their lives. Like, remember that time they were like, we can't do it. There's no McDonald's around the corner. And Jesus is like, watch this. He's like, bread, 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 bread. Like, that would be amazing. I would remember that forever. Like, remember that time we thought we had to do it for you? And then we remembered, whoa, we get to do this with you? See, serving God isn't about what I can do for Jesus. Serving God is about what I get to do with Jesus. So what does Jesus do? What business is he in? Like, what is he asking us to do with him? Well, in this story, I think it's really clear. See, Jesus provides, and he provides abundantly. Did you catch that? There were leftovers. Like, we miss that because we have leftovers all the time, and we're like, I don't want that, and we throw it away. But there were leftovers. There was so much afterward that there were baskets full because he doesn't just provide a little bit he provides above and beyond what we can even comprehend and imagine jesus provides exactly where you're at exactly what you need and then some so what situation are you in right now what feels impossible to you where are you going i don't know what to do I don't know where to go. Is he even showing up? I don't know. Maybe you're a foster parent. And you're like, I don't know if I can make it. This seems impossible. See, Jesus provides what we need. Maybe you're in a bad marriage situation. You're like, this isn't going to work. I'm done. We're done. I have no more effort, no more situations. I can't do it anymore. And Jesus says, okay, I'll provide the strength to take that next step. Rely on me. You don't have to do it. Don't do it for me. I'm doing it with you. Maybe you're just so tired. There's all this stuff going on, and you're like, I'm weary, and I don't have what it takes, and I don't know what to do, and I don't know where to turn. I'm frustrated. I'm annoyed. I'm empty. I can relate. It all seems insurmountable. Like, what are we going to do? How are we going to do it? This is ridiculous. Jesus provides right there in the way that we need. He provided nourishment for thousands of people. He can provide for us. He can give us strength when we're weak. He can give us peace when we're anxious. He can give us hope when we're discouraged. He can give us the bread literally when we're hungry. He can give us what we need, no matter what we need, no matter how we need it. He can provide it, and he will provide it fully and beyond, abundantly and perfectly. Now, I'd like for you to hear a story about God doing just that. God providing in such a big way. So I want you to hear a story from a fellow Ridger my friend, Candy. I'm Candy Hester, and I've been a part of the Ridge for 11 years and um, moved here 11 years ago for my husband's job and is now my ex-husband. <laughs> and so part of my journey is that for the last couple of years, I've um, been going through a divorce and the divorce really had a toll on me, not only emotionally, um, but it really hit me financially. God was faithful, but I did get to a point where financially I was going under. I just really felt like I was drowning. And um, I was supposed to get a divorce settlement, and um, 
it didn't come and it didn't come. And then I remember one day getting an email that said, congratulations, your settlement will be in your checking account um, within seven to 10 days. But be, please be advised that it's at the mercy of the market while in transit. Read that, went on with my life. A couple of days later, I'm sitting in my office. I get another email that says, congratulations, your money is in your checking account. Um, after the market, it is this much. And I hadn't really paid attention to the market. I didn't realize it was, and anybody that's in the market knows, the market had just tanked, really tanked. So there was like nothing. I, I just thought that was my last hope. I was gonna get this, this divorce settlement and I was gonna get caught up and I was gonna be back on my feet again and everything was gonna be fine. And suddenly, it was just gone. There was nothing there. And I had had a closing and gotten a check that day. And so normally when I get a check, I um, deposit it in the bank. And then if I give, I give electronically. And that day something just rose up in me and I decided no. I went to the bank, I cashed the check. I took out cash that would be tithe and I went straight to the church. I remember thinking I gotta get there before the offices close. And I was like, is Mike Morrow anywhere? Uh, I said, Mike, you're not going to understand this. I was crying and emotional. And I said, but I need to give my tithe and I need to hand it to somebody physically. And I told him what had happened, how I just lost the divorce settlement. And, and um, I said, I'm giving this because I know that God's not done yet. I, I was hurting so much financially and so much emotionally that I was having scary thoughts about life <laughs> and continuing even. I mean, I know what that feels like to feel like to have that pressure on you. And I said, but I'm giving this because I know that God's got a plan and I'm not gonna let the enemy win. And and it, you know, the next day I didn't win the lottery, but it was, and it, so it didn't happen overnight, but slowly and surely things just started turning around. All of a sudden people started calling me for a real estate that I wasn't even expecting, that I hadn't reached out to, um, just, I just can't even describe it. I went from 2020 at the beginning of it, feeling like I'm gonna die, <laughs> to at the end of 2020, I had the most sales that I've ever had in my 20 year real estate career. Like God just so blessed me. I'm, and, and every time money came in, I was able to give a tithe and, I, and it wasn't like I had to, it was like, I. I enjoy it. And I can just tell you that every time that I've been able to, to give my tithe or I've been able to help somebody else that needed it or give something there or even just buy dinner for someone or something like that, every time it, it reignites that joy within me. And it just, it, when people say blessed to be a blessing, like that, I get that. I, it blesses me to be able to give and and I can only give because God has completely provided for me and and I mean I still have to make wise choices and but um, it's just been it's been a real journey I mean but he he did it and you know I'm I, I'm still here <laughs> and I wasn't sure it was gonna be Jesus provides. Whatever situation that you're in, no matter the weight of it. Like Candy said, it didn't happen overnight. 
But even in the midst of not knowing how God would provide for her, she decided, you know what, I'm going to take him up on the opportunity to be a part of what he's doing. I'm going to do it with him. I mean, maybe you can do that in the same way. You know, Candy talks about a tithe financially, 10% or whatever, but it could be all sorts of different ways. See, the opportunities are kind of endless because Jesus is working all over the place. He's working this week. He's working in your heart right now. He's working tomorrow. And we act like we're the ones who provide, don't we? We're the ones who have the money or the skill or the time and that people should kind of beg us to serve or beg us to help. Like when I, when I figure it out, that's kind of a for him mindset. Have you ever had a for him mindset? You're like, step aside, God, I've got this. We need to stop doing it for him. Stop doing it for him. We acknowledge that he's the one who actually provides. We celebrate the way that he is providing in our lives right now. We can thank him for the way that he provides for us and the opportunities that he gives to do it with him. That's a powerful message from Candy. She didn't do any of it. It was God's provision. That's a powerful story from the disciples. They didn't have what it takes. Jesus is like, you feed them, but I've got this. I'll give you what you need. See, Jesus provides opportunities to be a part of what he's doing. He uses real people, like me and like you. He used real people to feed all those people. He uses real people to provide in real ways today. Not because he needs us to do it, but because he wants us to do it with him. We need to stop doing it for him and We need to start to do it with them, to join in. So my question really for you today, no matter where you're at, no matter what's going on in your head, what are you being called to do with Jesus? Because I believe you are. I believe that he's inviting you to be a part of things. We've already talked about a few of those opportunities. Candy mentioned financial giving, and I know that that's an uncomfortable thing and nobody likes to talk about it, but it's a significant way to say, no, God, you're providing all of this. I'm going to respond to who you are and what you've done in my life. So how else might you be prompted? One way is to serve somewhere here at the Ridge. We're actually going to be talking about that soon, but today I want you to mark your calendars. September 19th, the Ridge is going to have a serving fair. And there are going to be these opportunities to look in and and say, okay, this is how God wired me up. These are some opportunities to join him in what he's doing around here or in the community. So if you don't currently serve somewhere at the Ridge or you're looking for a way to do something with Jesus, I'd encourage you, this is a great place to start. Don't ignore it. September 19th, it'll be unmistakable here that day. But here's the thought. As I'm kind of thinking about, well, what is God kind of prompting you to do? What's he prompting me to you? How's he calling to be with him, to do this with Jesus? Here's a thought. What impossible situation do you have going on in your life right now? What's nagging at you? What's bothering you? What are you really struggling with? What are you using your extra time, your extra money, your extra effort to to think about or to do? What's it look like for you to trust Jesus to provide in the impossible situation that you're in? And not to always provide in the way that you want, but to provide in the way that he believes you need. What does it look like to trust Jesus to provide and then do the work with him? Like in a broken relationship, see, Jesus says, okay, I'll give you the strength, the patience, the hope, 
the peace, and then he invites you to kind of be a part of it and to take some next steps. And maybe you get the result that you want, but we all know we don't always get the result that we want. Either way, see, Jesus is providing and he's giving you strength. He invites you to do it with him. What does it look like to trust Jesus to provide the strength in a relationship where you need to apologize? You need to own what you're doing. You did something wrong and you need to say, okay, I'm sorry and this is what I'm sorry about. Jesus gives us what we need. He gives us the strength to do that. And he invites you, hey, look at what I'm going to do. You get to do it with me. You get to be an eyewitness. Maybe your impossible situation is that you actually maybe need to think about somebody other than yourself. We're all guilty of that sometimes. That you're like, you know, I don't have the time. I don't have the effort. I got it. I'm checking it off today. I'm going to move on. But what does it look like for you to actually stop and do it? Do something with Jesus. Do something in our community. Serve at Brighter Days, Homeless Shelter in Columbus. Serve at Clarity Pregnancy Center. Be a foster parent to serve at work, to serve at school. Like we go, I, I agree with all of that. I want to kind of do that, but I don't really want to do that. So no matter what you're going through, no matter who you are, no matter your needs, no matter your situation, Jesus provides. He provides what you need, just like he did at dinner for thousands of people. And he provides an opportunity for you to be a part of what he's doing. He's working right now. And we get to do it with him. So the bottom line is no matter the hurt, no matter the pain, no matter the helplessness, no matter the impossible situation, Jesus will provide no matter what. And in those moments, in those moments, I believe this with my whole heart, in those moments when he shows up and we stop doing it for him, we start doing it with him, we see how amazing he is and how much he provides in those moments, that's the moment that we'll remember for the rest of our lives. Not because of what we are, not because of what we did, but because we got to see what God is doing. Jesus provides. What's he calling you to do with them? I'd like to pray for us. Heavenly Father, it's easy to get caught up in doing things for ourselves. We're doing things for you. And I confess to you right now that I miss, I miss that at times. I miss this opportunity that we get to see the way that you provide, that you're our provider in such real ways, like over and over and over again type of ways that, that we forget that your, your love is bigger than we can possibly understand. That through what you did through Jesus and his life and the cross, that we get to have this right relationship with you, that we get to have hope and joy and peace that we can't do on our own. We can't, it doesn't even make sense for us to do it on our own. And I forget that you are right there in the midst of what we're going through. You have us right where you want and need us, and you will provide in full ways and in deep ways. So help it be unmistakable to us this week. Help us see Help us remember the way that you provide for us and that we also get to do it with you in the way that you provide through us. Help it be right up in her face that we remember who you are, that we remember your love, and that you provide beyond what we understand abundantly. You give us leftovers of provision. Help us 
point people to that God that you are, a God full of love and provision. And thank you, thank you, thank you for the opportunity that we have, no matter what's going on, to do this work with you. I'm excited to see what you're going to do. And it's in Jesus' name, because of him that we pray today. Amen.